right, all right, here we are. Welcome to the Strongest Ride podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether it is episode number one or episode 128 or anywhere in between. We really appreciate you being here and listening and, yeah, giving us some of your time. Hopefully you're out for a lovely jog or a walk or maybe you're in the car or maybe you are mopping the floors. Who knows? Maybe you're doing your rehab. If you've got rehab you need to be doing and you're not doing it, do it. There's your call out. You have been seen. There's nowhere to hide here. Now, today you are here with myself, Sophie Lane. For those that don't know, I am an exercise physiologist, a running coach and a strength and conditioning coach here in Sydney, Australia. And I love running, as does my co-host Lydia, who is a physiotherapist and personal trainer. She won't be here today. You're stuck with just myself. Every week we release episodes on Sunday mornings, just in time for your long run. And we alternate between guest interviews with experts in their field, whether that's physiotherapists, nutritionists, dietitians, researchers, psychologists, everyday recreational runners, elite athletes, you name it, we've had them on. On that topic as well, if you have any requests, if you yourself would like to be on the show or you know someone who you think would be a fantastic guest, then please send us a DM on Instagram or you can email us or whatever you want to do. Find us somehow, send your carrier pigeon and let us know who you would like on the show because we are always looking for new guests. We're always excited by new stories. We really believe that everyone has a story to share. So you don't have to have done anything, you know, typically extraordinary. As long as you've got something to share and you would like to open up to the world, then we would love to have you. So let us know. Now, today's topic, we are talking about intensity. We're talking about how to actually understand intensity. What actually is it? Why is it relevant to you and your running? Why does it matter? And how do we actually prescribe it and use it within our training? I think it's far too common for particularly beginner runners to put their shoes on, head out the door, be really excited, really pumped. Maybe they've just seen a TikTok of someone doing a 20K run and they're like, yeah, I can do this too. They step out the door, sprint down the road. Maybe they get to a hill and they try and maintain their same pace and then they're gassed. They can't breathe. They're hunched over, collapsed on the floor, and they hated every moment of it. So there's a way around that. All we need to do is slow down. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, about how fast or how slow should we actually be running? Why does that actually matter? How is that actually going to improve our performance? And how can we structure our week so that we are having sustainable training that is going to improve our performance, reduce our injury risk, and just make the experience more enjoyable as well? So that's what you're in for today. Strap yourself in. If you've got any questions, hopefully I answer them throughout the episode, but you can leave them in the question box on Spotify below if there's anything that you wanted to discuss further. If you disagree with what I'm saying, if you're not sure on something, if you've got some other ideas, I would love to hear them. So first of all, what is intensity? Now, when we're talking about intensity, we're simply talking about how hard are you working? So does it feel like you are exerting yourself? You're completely out of breath. You can't talk to anyone you need to have a two-hour nap after the run? Or do you feel comfortable? Are you chatting with a friend? Do you feel fresh? You're not really exerting yourself too much. You feel like you could maybe go all day. They're two totally different experiences and there's a time and place for each of those experiences. So understanding and really being in tune with yourself and feeling and listening to your body as you're running and kind of having a bit of reflection throughout the run and saying to myself or yourself, how does this feel? There's going to be a number of different kind of self-assessments that we can use that we're going to talk through today. 
But basically what we're just trying to figure out is how hard are we working? Because it's really important when it comes to our training that we're in the right intensity zones for the outcome that we're looking for. So why does it actually matter? Why can't I just go for a run at whatever pace, whatever effort, whatever intensity, and just do that a couple of times a week and just be fine with that? And to be honest, you probably could. You absolutely could. There'd be no, I don't have any, any real issue with it. But if you want it to be sustainable, enjoyable, and if you want to improve, then having a really good understanding of these different intensity zones is going to be really helpful and just make the experience way more fun. You're going to make better adaptations. So you're going to be able to actually improve your VO2 max, improve your lactate threshold, improve your running economy. You're going to be able to run faster, run for longer. You'll recover better or more quickly. And you can get really specific with what you're actually training for. Is it, Are you doing an ultra marathon? Are you doing a 3K? The intensity and the time spent in each of these zones is going to differ totally based on what your training goals are. Cool. So the number one most simplistic way to look at this, if all of the stuff that I say later on goes above your head, it's too confusing. Above your head? Over your head. <laughs> if it goes over your head. It's too confusing, doesn't make sense, too sciencey, whatever. Just remember this. The most simple way to think about your intensity is number one, easy. Number two, moderate. Number three, hard. If you can separate all of your training runs, all of your training, each of your sessions into those three categories and understand before you do your training week or before you do that specific run, what am I aiming for here? Is this an easy run? Is this a moderate tempo run? Is this a run that includes some race pace efforts, maybe some five to 10 minute intervals, no real maximum sprints, no hill sprints, nothing too crazy, but it's definitely more uncomfortable than an easy run. Or is this something that's really hard? Am I really exerting myself? Am I going at my VO2 max pace that I can only sustain for a couple of minutes? Am I working really hard? Am I out of breath? I'm not able to talk to anyone. There are three categories and we can we can go through a, few, a bit more detail around how to figure out which one of these you are. But I think really, if we think about it next time you go for your run or if you're running right now, just have a think to yourself, is this which one of the three? Is it easy? Is it moderate? Is it hard? And once you know that, even if you don't change anything, but if you just write a note or make a mental note once you finish your run, how that felt out of those three categories Look at that over a couple of weeks of training and then have a really good think about, is this the best way to go about it? Are all of my runs feeling hard or are all of my runs easy? And is that what I want? Is that going to serve me best? Is that the most efficient, sustainable way to train? And potentially not. We'll talk about different ways of training soon. But that's just a really nice, simplistic way to look at it. Easy, medium, hard. And the different ways to go about it that are a little bit more complex are all based around those three options there might be more categories there might be more details a little bit more um, complexity around it but really let's just always come back to easy medium hard so the next way to look at your training zones and your intensity is also really really simple and it's something that you can do right now if you are currently exercising so it's just called the talk test now the talk test is simply just a really nice way of looking at how hard things are feeling and we're going to talk about each training zone and how that correlates to these different tests throughout. So as a bit of an overarching principle, as an overview, what actually are the training zones? 
There's a couple of different models. Some people use the three zone model, some use five. I think for cycling, they've got something like seven or eight zones. What we're going to talk about today is the five zone model, because I think it just makes it a little bit more specific and clear, and there's less gray area between what each of them are. So if we're thinking about zone one, zone one being the easiest of the five zones. Zone one is something that we should feel really, really comfortable with. You should be able to sing the alphabet or your favorite song and have a really comfortable conversation. Now, the tricky thing with zone one, particularly if you're a beginner, if you've never run before and you go for a run, even if you're trying to keep it as low intensity and as slow as you can, there's a really high chance that you're going to be above that effort. It's a really high chance that if you've never run before, you go for your run, you're probably not going to be able to sing your favorite song out loud. And you're probably not going to feel really comfortable to have a conversation with your friend next to you. So this is where it gets a little bit tricky. If you are a beginner, there are some considerations and some things that we need to adapt based on your current ability. And then maybe revisit these principles later once you're a little bit more comfortable with the running but in general if you're someone who's been running for a while if you can comfortably run for an hour then your zone to, zone one should be very very comfortable very easy and you should have a happy conversation with no struggle no breathlessness moving on to zone two if you've done any research or listened to any podcast or done any reading on running lately everyone's talking about this zone Zone two is basically our conversational pace. So it's just slightly higher intensity than zone one. A lot of people wouldn't really notice too much of a difference. If you're more of a beginner, then you might be able to get into this zone a bit more comfortably than you did in zone one. And you can probably run in this zone. For some of you, zone one might be a walking zone and that's totally fine. But zone two, with still thinking conversational pace. But you should still your breathlessness should increase a little bit. So zone one, we're super comfortable having a normal conversation. If you're running in zone two and your friend calls you on the phone and you have a conversation with them, they should know that you're exercising. They should know that you're going for a jog because they'll hear every now and then there'll be an extra breath. Maybe you sound a little bit puffed. You're still able to have the conversation. You don't need to have any breaks. You don't need to say, hang on, just give me a minute. I just need to catch my breath. You should still be able to converse and talk normally but they'll be aware that you're running because there'll be a heightened or an increased respiratory rate you'll be breathing more than you would if you were at rest so that's a really nice easy way to think about it then we move on to zone three zone three is where we can still talk but we just can't really have a full comfortable conversation we can speak in sentences but we'll need little breaks in between so when we're talking about zone one, for someone who's a, a competent runner who's been running for a few years, in theory, they should be able to stay in zone one all day. Now, that might seem extreme for some. Some people just couldn't do that all day. But if we're doing a walk jog, you should be able to last hours and hours at a time. For zone two, if you're someone, again, who's competent, maybe you're training for a marathon, you should be able to stay in zone two for a number of hours. For some people, this might be two hours. For some people, it might be six hours. It shouldn't be all day long like the zone one, but it should be still more than a couple of hours. When we now move into zone three, which is our sentence area where we can still talk a little bit, but not full conversation, we can probably hold this for about two hours. Again, depending on our ability. This is our tempo zone or our um, kind of mid-range zone where it's not too hard. We're not completely gassing ourselves, but it's beyond easy. It shouldn't feel super easy now you're actually putting in a little bit of work. Then we move on to zone four. We can talk a little bit, but not that much. We're having a few words, 
but we're not able to say too much. This can last anywhere from 40 to 60 minutes, and this is more of your threshold zone. So when we talk about lactate threshold a little bit later, this will make more sense. But basically, you want to start thinking about this as something that you could sustain for maybe a 5K. Maybe, depending on on your ability, you could sustain for a 10K, but you wouldn't be doing this sort of effort for a half marathon or a run that goes beyond an hour. Okay, so that's zone four. Then we move on to zone five, which is probably not where we spend a lot of our training, but it's that really high intensity stuff. We can't talk at all. You could maybe blurt out a word every now and then if you really had to, but you're not going to be speaking in any sentences. You're not stringing any words together. And depending on your ability, you might be able to sustain this for sort of 15 to 20 minutes. Most often this is broken down into really short, fast intervals, and this would be where we do some of our speed work. But basically, it's hard, it's fast. So that kind of gives you, hopefully, a really nice understanding of the five zones. Okay, so one being the easiest, five being the hardest. And just understanding, if you can speak out loud, and you feel comfortable too, then you'll probably get a really quick gauge at where you're at. Now, the issue with this is, what if you've got no one to talk to? (laughs) What if you don't want to just chat to yourself in the middle of the street? And... How objective is it really? It can be really hard to be strict with yourself and to differentiate the levels. You know, having a conversation in zone two, potentially you could be in a zone three heart rate and be exerting yourself a bit more, but you can probably still force a conversation. You know, I'm sure you've all been there where you organize a run with someone, you think you're probably a similar pace, they turn up, they go a little bit quicker than you typically would, and you're trying to hold on. Maybe you don't say anything, you don't tell them to slow down they're probably going zone two, they're having a conversation, you're having a conversation back, but you're definitely breathing harder and heavier than you would choose to. Probably You probably wouldn't choose that as your easy pace. So we do often drift up and down out of these zones. And objectively, you could look at someone and say, oh, they're having a conversation, it must be zone two. But you've still got to pay really close attention to how that actually feels. Yes, you could probably force it, but is it comfortable? Do you feel relaxed? Are you still breathing in a regular rhythm? Or are you taking really uh, short, fast, deep breaths, almost getting into a bit of hyperventilation between sentences. So that's something to be aware of. It is quite subjective. It's not really clear. It's not science-based. It's just a really easy, quick, simple reference to just get a little bit of understanding of roughly where you are. Now, the good thing about this is obviously it's free. It's practical, really logical, makes sense, and it's easy to implement. So compared to some of the other methods that we'll talk about soon, It's really, really simple. So that's the talk test. Now, that's talking, that's, sorry, that is doing the talk test while you're in the middle of the run. But there actually is a talking test which will then give you a little bit more information on your training zones simply by doing a little bit of a test. So what this looks like is a five to 10 minute walk or very slow jog warm up. After the warm up, you'll take two minutes rest, just grab a drink, hang out, do what you need to do. And then you'll start jogging at your slowest possible pace. So just slightly beyond a walk, your slowest possible pace, you're going to jog at this really slow, easy, comfortable effort for 90 seconds. This should be roughly about a minute slower than what you think your zone two is. So if in your head you think, oh yeah, my zone two pace, my conversational comfy pace is about six minutes per kilometer. 
You should start this test at about seven minutes just to allow a bit, a little bit of buffer room. Maybe we might be overestimating things and we want to start a little bit lower than we expect so that we can see the trends and actually get some really good data out of this. So you've got 90 seconds. You're doing it as slow as you can. You're then going to press the lap button on your watch if you're using a watch which ideally you would be because we're trying to get pace. So we need some sort of metric to measure that. You're going to hit the lap button and then for 30 seconds, you're going to talk. Now you might feel a little bit crazy, but that's okay. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. Basically, you're going to talk for 30 seconds. Now you can say whatever you want to say, but if you can't think of anything to say and you don't want to just do a random chat to yourself, you can just count. So rather than counting one, two, three onwards from there, I would start with something in the hundreds. So 121, 122, 123, just because one, two, three, four, five, it's a little bit easier if that makes sense. So starting counting in the hundreds, you're going to do that for 30 seconds, hit the lap button again, and then think to yourself, make a mental note or write down in your phone or whatever you need to do. One of three answers. The question is, could you do that effort comfortably? Could you talk comfortably? Were you speaking and not feeling like you were out of breath and struggling to talk. The options are yes, no, or maybe. So write that down, think about that, and you're gonna carry on. If the answer was yes, if you felt comfortable, if that felt really easy, then you're gonna increase your pace by 10 seconds per kilometer. So this test is a lot easier to do on a treadmill. If you want to be a little bit less specific and not go to exactly 10 seconds per kilometer, because I don't know how easy that is to nail, but I guess, you know, if you're just on a track, you could probably average it out. Anyway, roughly 10 seconds per kilometer. You're going to do another 90 second effort, exactly what you did before, but we're going slightly quicker. At the end of that, you're going to hit the, hit the lap button. You're going to talk for 30 seconds, saying exactly what you said the first time, and then answer that question, yes, no, or maybe, in terms of how, whether it felt comfortable or not. You're going to continue repeating this process until you answer no or until you answer maybe twice in a row okay so if you're not quite sure whether it's comfortable or not sometimes again it's a bit subjective it's hard to judge put maybe down if you get maybe again the second time then it's probably a no and you're probably just not being harsh enough with yourself okay so once you've done that you've monitored your heart rate and your pace throughout this process you can then stop the watch go onto your garmin app or whatever you use look at the intervals that you've recorded there and find out what was the highest pace or the highest heart rate that you said yes to. So if you were, I don't know, five rounds in and you said, no, that was uncomfortable. I've stopped the test. Go back to your data on your watch or on your app and look at whichever was the last effort, the hardest effort that you answered yes to. And that's going to be the top of your zone too. So that is kind of indicating to you, okay, I was comfortable, 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 all of a sudden, didn't feel super comfortable. Now I'm not going to go beyond that heart rate or beyond that pace when I'm doing my zone two training. So that's the talk test in a nutshell. It's really easy to implement. It's obviously free, very accessible to everyone. You don't need to go to a lab. You don't need any fancy equipment. The trouble is it's a little bit subjective. So just be really honest with yourself. And if you are going to do the test, just do it the same way each time you repeat it. So you might do it now, then you might do a training block for three months and you might repeat the test and see if your training zones have changed because the idea is as we get fitter, we're able to become more efficient. We can handle more effort. Um, what's the word? 
more efficiently, I guess, again. Um, and so our training zones will move. So you'll be able to adjust those numbers based on your fitness increasing. So that's the talk test. That is the talk principle. Um, really, really easy to implement. Hopefully that makes sense. Moving on to our second method of monitoring or measuring intensity. It's one you would have all heard before, and it's the RPE scale. So the rating of perceived exertion, which is just a fancy way of saying how hard does this feel? Now, the RPE scale started off a guy called Borg, <laughs> created at the Borg scale, named after himself. Very selfish. Isn't it funny how everyone does that, names things after himself? I would love a Sophie Lane test. One day we'll come up with it, guys. Anyway, so his scale went from 6 to 20. Now, this can be quite confusing. For most of us, whenever we've done any rating of any kind, usually it's 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, maybe 1 to 20. But 6 to 20, like if I said to you right now, without any context, tell me how you feel between 6, 6 being the easiest, lowest, most comfortable, no effort at all, 20 being the maximum, where do you rate yourself? I think it's a little bit confusing to just throw a number out of there because we're so used to those traditional scales. The reason those numbers, they start at 6 and they end at 20 is because it's based loosely around general, typical heart rate data. So for someone at rest, an average sort of heart rate would be 60 beats per minute. For someone at their maximum intensity, maximum heart rate, it would be roughly around 200 for an average, relatively young, healthy person. So basically, he's just taken a few decimals out of there and gone 60 beats per minute to 200 beats per minute. That's our range. So we're going to start with 6 being our lowest effort, 20 is our maximum effort. So if you understand that, it makes a little bit more sense and you can look at your heart rate and go, oh, heart rate's 150. How do I feel? Yeah, about a 15 out of 6 to 20. So it makes a bit of sense, but it can be confusing. So there's a much simpler option, which is just the simple 1 to 10, which most of us would have used regularly before. Now, this is really easy to follow, makes a lot of sense. Again, similar to the talk test, the issue is it's very subjective. My 10 out of 10 maximum effort could be totally different to your 10 out, 10 out of 10. And same with my two or three easy intensity. We could have totally different perspectives on what easy actually feels like. The good thing is we don't really need to compare. I don't need to know what your 10 is. You don't need to know what my 10 is. The most important thing is that we're consistent. So if I go out one day and go, yep, that run was an 8 out of 10. Then next week I go, oh, was that an 8 out? Or oh, maybe it was a 7, maybe it was a 6. And we kind of change. You know, it's hard for us to be objective and clear and consistent and always use the same justification for our rating on this scale. So it is a little bit subjective. But once you've used it for a little while, you probably get a pretty good understanding of what these numbers mean to you. And you can therefore be a little bit more consistent with using a similar system because I guess the issue would be you know you might do one run and it's a two out of ten and then suddenly it's a four out of ten and you've got to try and figure out what's changed and maybe you didn't sleep well the night before or maybe it's a little bit hotter or more humid or you ate something that wasn't very good for your fueling or you know a number of different things so it is affected by a wide range of factors which can be helpful and cannot be helpful this is a whole another tangent but some people are really in tune and listen to their body really well. Some people maybe take it a little bit too far. Some people maybe ignore it a little bit too much. So it depends where you sit on that scale as to whether this RPE method is going to be relevant to you. But again, the application is really easy. There's no equipment needed, no testing needed, no financial burden. Um, but I think it's just really important to figure out what your set point is. So 
try and just really think about what actually is a 10 for me. If I was feeling like a 10, what would that be? What would that need to involve? Is that me running at my absolute maximum 5k race pace over hills? Or is that me running, you know, a relative, you know, 70% effort? I think we've got to figure out exactly what a 10 means, exactly what a one means, and then we can hopefully work through that a little bit more simply. Now, when we are looking at the RPE scale and we're correlating it to our training zones, I'll just bring up from my notes, making sure I'm getting this all right. So in terms of the training zones, on the RPE scale, one to two is our zone one. RPE two to three is zone two. Four to six is zone three. Seven to eight is zone four. And nine to 10 is zone five. So it's really easy to plug in. Okay, I'm doing a zone four run. How should that feel? Oh, yep, that should feel like, I just said it, now I've forgotten. That should feel like a 7 out of 10 or 7 to 8 out of 10, which on this description says borderline uncomfortable, short of breath, can speak a sentence or a few words. So that's really helpful to understand, I guess, the correlations between the two. So that's RPE. We've had the talk test. We've had RPE. Now moving on to heart rate. So we're getting a little bit more sciencey. We're getting a little bit more specific. You're going to need a little bit more equipment. And a bit more understanding. It's not as simple as just thinking about how you feel. Now, there's a number of different ways to use heart rate as your intensity gauge. One of the kind of more common, simple options that you might find online is a percentage of your maximum heart rate. Now, often this will be derived from one of the formulas like 220 minus your age, or there's a few more complex ones that involve a few other numbers. But basically, it's just that's an estimation. So, yes, you can use those as an estimation. But just understand everyone's different, everyone's unique. That number might not be appropriate for you. The other way to go about it is to get a lab test done, go and do a VO2 max test, see how high your heart rate got and base it off that. The other thing to do is do a race, do something that's hard, do something that's really intense where you feel like you're pushing yourself and have a look at the data and see what your heart rate got to and that will give you a bit of a gauge as well. But basically, again, if we're coming back to the training zones, we're thinking about for our zone one, that's anywhere from 50 to 60% of our maximum heart rate. So if my maximum heart rate is 190, I should have picked a brown number. This will test me 50, 45, 95? No, yeah, 95? That's correct. Okay, so yes, my easy zone one, walk jog pace would be about 95 beats per minute and then we would then move on to 60 to 70 percent 70 to 80 percent 80 to 90 and 90 to 100 and that would correlate with our training zones so relatively simple relatively straightforward that's just based on our maximum heart rate the issues with this are ideally to get accurate data you're going to need a heart rate strap whether that's one that goes around your chest or one that goes around the arm the wrist-based watches or sensors aren't super reliable or accurate they can move around they get sweat and dirt underneath them and they're just the science shows that they're just not as accurate so getting a strap would be if you're going to go down this route getting a strap would be ideal um, another issue with this is those age-based predictions are inaccurate so 220 minus my age if we were the same age we could have totally different max heart rates but google will tell us that they're the same the other issue with using heart rate is the delay or the lag. So if, for example, you're doing a hill session, maybe you've just done your warm-up jog, maybe you're having a bit of rest before you start, you're grabbing a drink, doing a couple of dynamic stretches, your heart rate's relatively low. Let's say it's at 110 for now. Then you might do a 30-second uphill sprint, okay? 
And if you've got the, your watch displaying heart rate, you'll start your watch, you'll start the rep, you'll get to the top of the hill and maybe your watch is saying that your heart rate is at 130 or 140. And you're thinking, wow, that felt so hard. That felt like I was at my maximum heart rate. But my watch is showing that I'm at my zone two or zone three. And then it will start climbing a little bit more and a bit more and it will slowly come up a little bit higher. But by the time you've probably recovered from that interval, you're probably on your way down, you're ready to start the next one. It wouldn't have, it would have only just reached its maximum or it might not have even missed it or sorry, it might've missed it. So when you are doing specifically really short reps, there's just this lag that the heart rate just doesn't, it's just not instantaneous. It just doesn't keep up exactly on the second. So you could be looking at it in real time and just feeling like, oh my gosh, I am at my maximum, but my watch is showing that I'm not. So it's a little bit disheartening. It's a bit confusing. It's hard to know what's actually correct. And it's also really hard to gauge. Like if you're really focusing on sticking to the correct heart rate, but you're looking at it and it's lower, then you're probably going to push way, way harder than you need to. And you might end up injuring yourself because you're trying to get your heart rate to climb in time while you're doing the rep. So that's not ideal. A little bit frustrating. It's okay for longer reps. It's okay for longer runs. Looking at it, um, I guess, post run, looking at it in reflection, that can be helpful. But in the moment, instantaneous, not super helpful. Something else to consider when you're looking at heart rate, and I guess this applies to probably all the different metrics, is what can these things be affected by other than just purely the effort that we're exerting? So things such as heat and humidity. I did a whole episode on this, so check that out if you want to know more information. But basically, everything will be elevated in hot conditions. We also need to consider hills and terrain. That makes things harder. That will increase our heart rate and it will increase our RPE as well. So those things change how much stress we're under at the moment, how much sleep we've been having and caffeine as well, specifically for the heart rate, caffeine will have an impact on that. So, you know, we might have these exact heart rate zones that we've got from the lab and then you might have a double shot of coffee in the morning before you run and suddenly your heart rate is 10 or 20 beats higher than it typically would be. So it confuses the numbers. Now, the good thing is most coffee drinkers who are runners would probably have the same coffee every time before they run. So it's probably consistent at least. Um, But that's just something else to consider as well. Cool. All right. So that was heart rate. We've done talk test, RPE, heart rate. Moving on to lactate threshold. I'm pretty sure I've done a whole episode on this as well. So I'll have that linked below if you want more details. Just going to go over a brief overview now. Basically, lactate threshold at the moment really is the gold standard in terms of measuring, monitoring, prescribing intensity with our training. The issue with it is you've basically got to be stabbed multiple times in order to figure out what it is. So you need to go into the lab. You need to get a pinprick on your finger or your ear. The lab tech, such as myself or anyone else who does it, will take a sample from your blood They'll analyze it in a machine. The machine will spit out a number and that will give us data in terms of how your lactate is responding to your intensity. So as a simple overview, you'll do a lactate test, which basically just means you start at a really low intensity, probably an easy walk for most people, maybe a really slow jog, depending on where you're at. Every three minutes, that intensity or the pace will increase. It'll get faster. It'll get harder every three minutes. At the end of each three minutes, the lab tech physiologist 
exercise physiologist, exercise scientist, whatever they are, will take the blood sample and they'll analyze it. Initially, what we're looking for is something really low. So hopefully your lactate sits around one millimole to start with, maybe below that when you're at rest, that would be ideal. And then we see this really slow increase. So, you know, after the first three minutes, it might be at one, then it might go to 1.5, it might go to 1.9, then it might go to 2.7, all of a sudden it's at four, and now it's maybe gone up to eight. Okay, so it sits really low for a while. The reason it sits low, and this will, I'll make sure that this applies to what you're doing soon, but it sits really low because we're able to clear the lactate as quickly as it accumulates. So when we exercise, lactate is produced as a byproduct of energy production. So the more energy we need, the more lactate is produced because of that. When we're at a really low intensity, zone two, zone one, we're clearing the lactate really efficiently, really quickly. So it's not building up, it's not accumulating, it's not taking over. Once the intensity increases beyond our lactate threshold point, the lactate accumulates faster and more then it gets cleared out. So we start to get this really high accumulation of lactate and that shows up in your blood sample. And it also just correlates with how hard things are feeling and how much you can handle and how much oxygen you can utilize, how much energy you can produce, all that kind of stuff. So then once you finish the test, you've gotten to your maximum, we've got your numbers from your blood sample. We can then associate this with the training zones. So as a general rule, there's a, some people do it differently jewelry's out a little bit but basically for zone one we're looking from zero to one lactate so it's really really low for, as i said before for most beginners and even many seasoned runners their lactate will probably be beyond one when they're jogging their heart rate will probably be out of zone one when they're jogging um and they'll probably feel like they can't sing a song or have a conversation so zone one's sometimes a little bit tricky to stay into zone two is anywhere from one to two millimoles there is there are a few researchers who suggest 1.7 to 1.9 specifically. I'd argue it's a little bit hard to get that specific, but that's kind of the goal. Then once we hit two millimoles, we kind of move into our next threshold or our next zone. So two to three is that third zone. Three to four millimoles of blood lactate is our zone four. And then beyond four millimoles, we're past our threshold. We're into that really high intensity stuff, anywhere from four to 15 to 20 depending on how much you can handle is that zone five high intensity stuff so this might be a little bit confusing if you've never heard of lactate threshold before or understand what the numbers mean but go back to listen and listen to one of the episodes i've done on it to get a little bit more understanding but basically it's very science-based it's very specific to you it's your data it's your information the trouble is it's very expensive and it's very invasive if you don't like needles if you don't like blood <laughs> you're not going to love this so it's great if you have access to it and you're able to do it. If you don't, don't stress. We've got other options for you. Moving on to our next option, we have pace. So some people love to run by pace. It makes sense when I think about when we're training for a race, specifically road races, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. A lot of the time we're focused on pace or time. So we might be thinking, okay, I've got a marathon in four months. I really wanna break four hours. The pace for that is this. So I need to be running some of my runs at this pace. I need to run maybe my easy runs a bit slower, maybe my faster runs a bit faster. And you can really be specific with which paces you need to hit in order to, to reach your goal. If you're training for a 40 minute 10K, then you need to make sure that you're able to run for close to, if not the full 10K, just below four minute pace. So it can be a really 
easy to apply method. I guess the trouble is, and it's probably quite obvious, is pace is quite varied depending on the terrain, the hills, the surfaces you're on, the conditions. Um, You know, if you're running through the city, maybe you're dodging people, maybe you're stopping at traffic lights, maybe you're running up stairs or hills. And if you're just sticking with purely pace alone and you're you're sticking to that four minute pace and then you get to a massive mountain, what are you going to do? Are you going to sprint up that mountain at four minute pace and completely destroy yourself? Or are you going to adjust your pace and go, okay, no, this is not the race conditions. This is beyond that. This is some hill training. I'm going to adjust my pace and go a little bit slower. So I think if you're using pace, it's simple if you've got a time-based goal and it makes sense for that. But I think just being a little bit flexible or at least having a rough idea of which paces are appropriate for which event or which zone you're looking to train or what outcome outcome you're looking to get. The running calendar, or sorry, the running world, I think it is running world, have a calculator that you can use. So if you put in a recent race result, it will spit out some numbers for you, which will give you like your easy running pace. It might give you your tempo pace, your VO2 max pace. And that's a really nice guide to just give you a bit of understanding of like, okay, well, these types of sessions should be quicker than my race pace. These ones should be slower, all that kind of stuff. So pace can be really simple. Again, cheap easy to apply, probably a little bit easier to understand as well, because we talk about pace so often as runners and it's, you know, it's displayed on Strava, it's displayed on our watch. We see it quite regularly. It probably makes a little bit more sense. Now, finally, our last metric we're going to talk about today is power. Now, again, I'll link below to the power episode that we did with Andy Dubois talking all about the stride pod, how that works, why power is so fascinating (laughs) and potentially really game changing. But in general, The best part about power is that it's consistent across different conditions. So as we just spoke about running up a hill, your pace is going to reduce unless you want to just destroy yourself. Whereas power considers elevation. So you might be running at 200 watts, for example, and you'll run up a hill. Your pace will change. If you, you know, if you slow down, your pace will change, but your power might still stay the same because it's all relative to the conditions and to the terrain. So I think that's really helpful i think the downside to this is it's expensive i think the pods are 350 ish dollars and it's a whole number a whole new number to get your head around if i say to you now 200 watts that probably means nothing to you whereas if i say to you five minute per kilometer pace you probably have a good understanding of what that is or what that feels like or what that means so it just would take a little bit of time to get used to Um, ideally you're using a foot pod which again costs money you can use your watch or your heart rate strap but it's just nowhere near as accurate now something that I saw online was a really good I guess description of comparing power pace and heart rate so they've written here power is an output so it's similar to when you're on a bike what wattage are you putting out how much work is being done power is an output pace is an outcome So based on what you're doing, pace is the outcome of that. And heart rate is an indicator. So heart rate maybe displays or shows us potentially what's happening physiologically. Pace is the outcome of what effort we put in and power is the effort. So hopefully that makes it a little bit clearer. So we have talked about the torque test. We've talked about RPE. We've talked about heart rate, lactate threshold, pace and power. So hopefully you get a bit more of understanding of the different metrics you can use to monitor measure your training to prescribe your training and why how they all sort of correlate and work off that 
five zone model i'll try and link a pdf to the five zone model so you can get your head around it if you're a visual learner i'll try and attach you know the five zones with which uh, lactate threshold or sorry lactate number should you look at which rpe what talk test does it relate to all that kind of stuff just so you've got a nice visual of all of them pieced together um, so it's a little bit more applicable for you now the purpose of all this why does all this matter why can't i just go for a run and just not think about it and just run as hard as i can every time Understanding intensity helps us to self-regulate during our runs so that we can ensure we're getting out of the run what we intended to. So if we know we've got an easy run on our program, we go out for that run. If we understand a couple of different or at least one metric of intensity while we're doing this run, we can self-regulate, we can adapt, we can change, we can lower or increase our effort or our pace based on the outcome that we're looking to get. So if it's an easy run and we're running and we're having a conversation with our friend, but we've realized, oh, I'm actually quite puffed. I'm actually struggling to hold this conversation. I'm having to take extra breaths than I normally would. I can't really get a full sentence out. This was meant to be an easy run. This is definitely not an easy run. So then you can pull the pace back down and make sure that you're getting out of it what you plan to. If your program says easy jog, but you don't understand what easy means for you or what that actually is, or maybe you just think running's hard, every run's hard. I don't, I can't run comfortably ever because i'm new to this doesn't make sense all that kind of thing if you understand this a little bit more then hopefully that will help another thing too is if you've got a program and it says run at rpe8 rpe8 what does that actually mean to you what does that mean to anyone if we look at the chart that i've attached hopefully if i remember to do it you'll be able to understand okay rpe8 that means i'm probably in my zone four which is kind of around my threshold zone. I should be able to say a few words. I could probably do that for maybe 40 minutes, maybe an hour, but I shouldn't really be able to do much more than that. So that will just help you to really understand it a bit clearly. The other thing that's really important with looking at our intensity is if you aren't getting coached currently, looking at your training week and being able to be really smart with your programming and your structure and making sure that you're making things sustainable, comfortable, and I guess ultimately safe. So coming back to that person who just runs as hard as they, hard as they can every run, we want to look at our training weeks and have this kind of undulation throughout the week. So we might, again, coming back to that really simplified low, moderate, high model, we might want to hit each of these different intensities throughout the week, but we don't want to do a high effort run followed by a high effort run followed by a moderate run, another high run. We want to space these things out. So I've got an example here for you. If we just look at a normal training week, on Monday, I've broken each of these sessions down into low, moderate, or high. On Monday, we had a rest or an active recovery. So maybe a light walk or a light swim. And this has been categorized as a low effort day. On Tuesday, we had a tempo run, which is a moderate effort. On Wednesday, we had an easy recovery jog, which is low, so we've gone low, moderate, low. Thursday, we've got a track session with some VO2 max intervals, so really hard and fast efforts. That, therefore, is a high effort session. On Friday, we've got a rest day, so that would be low or even just zero, nothing. On Saturday, we've got a 90-minute run, and this is going to be moderate. It's a little bit quicker than our normal easy run, but it's nothing too crazy. And then on Sunday, we've got our three-hour run, and it's going to be over hills, it's going to be in the trails, there's a lot of elevation, therefore it's high. Okay, so we're looking at the week going low, moderate, low, high, low, moderate, high. So we never have back-to-back -back high sessions. We've got our low 
mixed in sort of every second day so that we're able to recover. We need to have these ups and downs throughout the week so that we can really hit our target sessions with as much intensity, as much effort as we possibly can as what is prescribed and required, but we're then able to recover and adapt from it. Um, So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. The only other thing I wanted to touch on when thinking about intensity is looking at your overall training load and using the RPE scale as a way to monitor your load. If you aren't tracking it any other way or you don't have a coach, you can simply look at your RPE. So if we look at that week before, for example, on Tuesday we had the tempo run. Let's say that that run was 40 minutes long. I would write 40 minutes or 40 times the RPE, which would have been a 6. 40 times 6 is 240. That was my TRIMP score. TRIMP is the metric you're using for RPE times minutes for that day. I would then repeat that for every day that week, which would then give me a total TRIMP score for the week. Let's just say it was 600 or 800, whatever it is. Then the following week, if we're trying to progressively overload, we can look at increasing that from 800 to 900. And that would either be through increasing some duration, so doing some runs for a little bit longer, or it could be through increasing our RPE, making one of the runs a little bit harder, a little bit faster. So using that RPE times minutes is a really nice way to have a good overview of your training load so that you know when you're doing enough, when you're doing maybe too much. You can look at it if you've got consistent weeks of maybe a thousand. These numbers are just coming off to my head. They don't mean much, but say it's a thousand. You've had three weeks in a row of a thousand. Maybe your time it's time for a deload week. Maybe you need a little bit of recovery depending on how you're handling that. So that can be a nice way to use that metric of RPE, um, but also apply it to a more longer term method or uh, metric. So yeah, that is it from me in terms of intensity. Hopefully that's made a little bit of sense. Hopefully you've got a good understanding of the five training zones, a good understanding of how to measure and monitor which training zone you're in and why that actually matters. Um, if, you're, if you have any questions, please leave them on the Spotify question box or message them to us through Instagram. I'd be happy to chat you through it and I'd love to hear your opinions on any and all of these topics. Thank you so much for listening. Um, just a quick update from me. It is currently about a month out from Tarawera 50k. Training is going okay. I had a bit of an issue last week with some heat stroke slash maybe a virus. I'm not entirely sure. Did a bit of a run on Friday afternoon and was shivering in the car on the way home and had fevers all night. So wasn't feeling fantastic, which basically scrapped that whole weekend of training, which I was pretty disappointed about because right now is kind of peak training for me. I should be doing my biggest runs, my biggest weeks. And I'm just not currently, which is kind of devastating, but it is just what it is. This weekend should be a little bit better. I've got a three and a half hour long run on Sunday. It's meant to be pretty warm. So I'm going to be so well hydrated. You wouldn't believe it. After Friday was a bit of a scare. So I want to make sure that I am fully fueled, hydrated. I've got my pack filled up to the brim with all my electrolytes, hydration, nutrition, uh, making sure that that is all on point. I've also recently got some new shoes that I'm keen to try out this weekend, Probably left it a little bit late, but, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. I've got some Peregrines from Sokini. Going to try those out, see how they feel today. And then I'm heading off to Japan at the end of next week. Got a little bit of a two-week snowboarding holiday before the run. Bit of an interesting taper method from me, but, you know, you got to live a little. Um, so, yeah, hopefully everyone else's training is going well. We should have our hats 
hopefully within the next couple of weeks. I think they're due in February. Um, it was about an eight to 10 week turnaround. We ordered them in December. Um, so it should be any week now. As soon as they are available, we'll let you know. If you want to send us a message on Instagram, if you're definitely keen for a hat, we can just put your name aside and have one almost on a bit of a pre-order for you. But otherwise, we'll let you know when they're up. And what else is happening? We've got episodes with Bo the Physio coming out, I believe, next week. Then another solo ep. Then an episode with Nick Youngquest talking about City Marathon, which is super cool. And a couple of more in the works, which we will announce at a later date but thank you so much for listening really really appreciate your support your time your care your messages um would love if you do anything today to support us i would love for you to share this episode on your story um it helps us find new listeners it helps more people and if we can get more people listening to the podcast then more people will have a great understanding about intensity they'll run better they'll feel more comfortable they'll enjoy it more we hear it far too often of people hating running simply because they ran too fast and just didn't know that they could slow down and probably enjoy it a lot more also this episode was being recorded in one take i don't even know if there's going to be any editing so that's fantastic um all right thank you so much links are below for any discounts if you need tailwind vivo barefoot scorcher sun care oh i said it first time that's good and thanks so much i'll chat to you next week